Hi, this is Brendan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Joel and Adam uh, for another episode of the 12 Days of Fistmas, which we're well into February with. So hopefully this ends soon because it's it's really starting to become like our own personal podcast hell. Um, but Joel, <laughs> you need to talk about some Lone Wolf Fist stuff, and then we'll get into uh, the Kill Bill movies. Heck yes, I do. Lone Wolf Fist. Okay, so... Here we go. I'm going to talk about Lone Wolf Fist. It's a game. <laughs> no, okay. So Lone Wolf Fist is um, martial arts in the post-apocalypse based on, uh, kind of loosely based on, inspired by films like Fist of the North Star, Verify Hunter D, and that sort of thing, uh, Demon City Shinjuku. Um, it is a, a wonderful grab bag of crazy kung fu, and it can be yours for the low, low price of, I think it's uh, $20 right now on DriveThruRPG. It's also on Big Geeping Emporium and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so anywhere that you buy games, you can buy my game. I highly recommend it. It's highly reviewed. Um, it's there's several. Uh, I, this is kind of wonderful for me as a game designer. There's several actual uh, uh, games getting played right now, campaigns getting run that aren't mine, um, and I just know about them because they're talking about them on the the Fistiverse, which is our Discord. Which, by the way, maybe it's free to join if you are a great lover of crazy kung fu games. Um, so. Yeah, uh, that's that's the basics of it. Um, I didn't have much of a pitch this time. That's uh, okay. Are, that's all right. We are, we are working on the, the second Kickstarter, Acid and Steel, which is going to expand it with demons and robots. So if you like demon and robot kung fu, or if you just want to go to hell and punch people to death, or into a giant robot uh, city in the sky and punch people to death, well, be my guest. And, uh, and today we're going to be talking about both Kill Bill movies. And for those who don't know, which I imagine there's not a single person listening that clicked on this that doesn't know, Kill Bill is an epic martial arts duology by Quentin Tarantino, released in 2003 and 2004 in two separate volumes. It stars Uma Thurman as the bride on a quest for revenge against the people who nearly murdered her during her wedding dress rehearsal in this pretty grotesque massacre. Um, and so she goes into a coma and she wakes up and goes for revenge. And then, you know, she, as the title suggests, her ultimate goal is to kill Bill, um, the, the leader of the group that, uh, that, uh, committed the massacre. Um, so I don't know, I guess the best place to begin since we've all seen it before and we all mentioned this is the contrast of when we first saw this movie versus our most recent viewing. And I don't know who wants to go first, um, but I think that would be the, the best place to start. Uh, I will go. Uh, so yeah, the uh, I I've basically I got into watching Wuxia movies with Brandon here on uh, the Wuxia Weekend uh, version of this podcast. So I have not watched this movie since I started doing that. So for me. It was fascinating going back and watching this again with insight into all the things that are contained within all the references. I was, I was pretty familiar with Japanese movies, so I caught a lot of those things the first time through. But, uh, you know, things like Pai Mei have now seen Executioners from Shaolin, uh, which, uh, you know, so basically I'm like, OK, I get this character. It's kind of fun having a background to this character in your head mm. watching him as opposed to uh, as opposed to that. But uh, I don't know. I don't have a lot to say on this topic yet. I kind of lost <laughs> it. Go ahead. That's Go OK. Ahead, oh, man. So, OK, 
I don't know what was wrong with me in my 20s when I first watched this movie, but I really didn't think that much of it. I, I think I watched them in reverse order with the second one first, and I wound up liking the first one a lot better. Um, I really liked the crazy 88 fight sequence. I think that was like the, the highlight of yeah. the movie for me, which yeah. even if that like, I might still kind of hold that opinion. I think that's an amazing fight sequence, um, although now that I'm not in my 20s anymore, it might be like like, you know, when you're in your 20s and you can just like eat a bunch of pixie sticks and, like, drink a bunch of Mountain Dew yeah. and, like, play in a LAN party or whatever for, like, 19 hours. Like, it's kind of like coming back and trying to do that again in your almost 40s. And you're like, okay, I, I can maybe have one pixie stick, guys. I got to wash my blood sugar. You know, that's yeah. that's kind of what that fight sequence is now where I'm like, okay, this might be a little bit much for me. Uh, it, it's still an absolute crowning achievement, but... Maybe it's an absolute crowning achievement people with a little more uh, tolerance for that pace than I have nowadays. <laughs> but yeah, no, when I first watched these movies, I wasn't terribly impressed with them. I watched them once, maybe twice through my 20s. I was always fond of them, but I, I, I don't know. I was a Pulp Fiction guy back then. Still am to a huge degree. But I gotta tell you, I, I rewatched these movies, um, and I could not tear my eyes away from them this time. They're beautiful. The, the sound design and the soundtracks are... It, they're incredible. They're, uh, I wouldn't say they're they're perfect, but the reason I don't use the phrase perfect is only because I'm struggling to think of another word that's not perfect that is as close to perfect as possible. Um, like everything in this film, the performances, the fight choreography, which is mind-blowing even nowadays, um, the, the cinematography, the, these films are an absolute feast from beginning to end. Um, it, they're incredible. So I've really changed my my position on them in the intervening decade or more. Um, apparently, I went from being like, ah, those films are okay. I like the real stuff to, no, this is the real stuff. This is great. I think um, for me, so when this first came out, I still didn't have, even though, you know, we had seen uh, Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs and Jackie Brown, I didn't have... I think a uh, command of what Tarantino's style and tone really were, because I don't think you get that until you really see how far his catalog extends. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. um, so I probably had a slightly different reaction the first time I saw it. Um, but it's been so many years that I don't know. I feel like it's just, I, 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 I don't know that I can even give an honest assessment of like when I first saw a movie 20 years ago anymore or whatever, especially, if it was one where um, I saw it in the theater or something. So I'll just talk about what I do remember. I remember when it came out, I was very into martial arts at that time. I was competing in Taekwondo. I might've just transitioned to Muay Thai, but I was just really into absorbing martial arts media. I was more into Kung Fu style action and hand and fist style action than I was Wuxia, though I did watch those things. But I remember when I first saw it, I definitely didn't have the depth of knowledge that I had later on, do you know what I mean, like in the intervening years. So I wouldn't have gotten all of the references. And, and in fact, I'm sure part of uh, my journey uh, into like a lot of the Wuxia movies that we, we, we ended up eventually seeing on Wuxia Weekend and stuff were probably a byproduct of tracking down some of the Easter eggs in the Kill Bill movies. But um, but when I first saw the first movie, I remember liking it. Um, but it wasn't until I saw the second movie. I saw the first movie, I think, on 
on DVD at my house with my girlfriend, who's now my wife. And then I remember going to see the second movie in the theater with her. And there were like uh, a couple of scenes that really sort of sold me on it. The first is when he's in the desert with her talking about Paime as the, the backstory to, uh, to, her, you know, to her training when she's buried alive. And the yep. second is when the, the way the movie ends, where it ends in a living room, and they have this whole conversation with her and Bill. And it's very almost 1970s television. It's like, I don't quite know how to put it. It just doesn't, <laughs> it didn't feel like how movies were supposed to end when it got there. And, 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 I, and I think if it had been any other Quentin Tarantino movie, I would have expected that because Pulp Fiction, it would have made total sense for it to end in some guy's living room with a conversation <laughs> about Stu Superman. But because it was this martial arts extravaganza leading up to it, it really is kind of a curveball. And then I just remember thinking, this really works. I really like this. Um, but then in the intervening years, I think my appreciation of the movie's only grown um, just because I just want to rewatch it all the time. I don't even really necessarily know why. I just know that I really like watching it, uh, you know, you know, and I, and I, it, it, for me, the measure of how good a movie is, is do I really feel like putting in a, and I'm not always literally putting it in the DVD player, but do I, do I feel like taking it out of the case and putting it in the <laughs> DVD player and watching it? Or am I, am I, am I not interested enough that that's too much of a hurdle for me to be bothered? You know what I mean? <laughs> So yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's a beautiful movie. Sentiment. Huh? I swear I, to God, <laughs> that's, that's perfect. Yeah. That's exactly the sentiment. Yeah, but, um, I think going back, uh, I think you know, with the whole scene at the end and everything, I think that landed for me. I mean, I liked it originally. I mm -hmm. like it even better now because after watching a bunch of wuxia movies it's like bill is such a wuxia villain character yeah <laughs> it's like i i felt like i had more insight into what tarantino is doing with that character understanding the genre and yeah. you know just the the weird contradictions of the character and everything it's like i i felt like i understood bill a lot more watching the movie this time which made everything land better it's funny, too, because I normally am not that into David Carradine, but I remember really being impressed with his performance in this movie. Yeah. And, and, I, and just as a villain in general, he's just this, like, something about how calm and gentle and friendly he, he seems, but you know that, like, under that is just this ability to massacre people. Like, the whole wedding dress rehearsal sets the stage for everything that follows in Kill Bill 2. Um, yeah. And and I don't know. So so by the time you get to that last scene, it's cordial, but you know that in a moment it can turn into something, and it does. You know that there are those <laughs> moments in the car where it just explodes into something else. And I I I but I found myself captivated by the dialogue. I think that I think what works about Kill Bill is it's an action movie, and it's like a it's an it's an extravagant like almost like a Sergio Leone action movie, right? Like it's just it's like it's huge. But the dialogue, which has always been his strength, and is is really central to everything that's going on. Um, uh, the the thing that I didn't understand that I really do understand now is the tone of Quentin Tarantino. Is it's it's not a hundred percent serious. He has there's there's it's I don't know what you would he calls his movies comedies, which I don't think of them as comedies, but I do think there's a kind of 90s humor to them, like a, a an ironic or deliberate hamminess and over-the-topness that justifies a lot of the things that you see in a movie, 
like Kill Bill that might look weirder in another movie. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. the ability There's... to like set that tone where it would be comedy elsewhere, you know, like goofy comedy, yeah. and it allows that kind of hamminess to take on a, a resonance that it wouldn't be able to achieve in someone who has a lesser hand on the camera. Well, I was He's, trying to he imagine doesn't, he doesn't oh. use comedy to diffuse things. Like a lot of times when you make a joke, like you know, in the typical like you know, a lot of the Marvel movies now, it's like oh, there'll be a joke every like two minutes, and it's like and it just destroys whatever tension is in the scene it's like oh somebody made a funny but it's like the humor in tarantino's movie doesn't do that no it's like it 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 just it's it's sincere and funny at the same time rather than just being complete ironic you know drama killing humor well you know what it is it's the kind of humor that exists in like if you're a fan of a genre like we all love wuxia and we all know the tropes and it's like he takes the genres that he loves and he takes the trope and he leans into it like 20% more than <laughs> a normal movie of that type would. And that's yeah. the humor. That's the humor. It's not that he's, and he's not making fun of it. He's enjoying, no. he's enjoying, it's sort of like people who like Vincent Price movies. Nobody's making fun of Vincent Price when they, when they talk in a Vincent Price voice, they love Vincent Price and they're exaggerating him because they love him so much. And I think that's yeah. kind of how he does things. And that's why, his humor has a particular style. I was trying to imagine, like in every scene I was watching, what if another director had made this scene? <laughs> oh, God. And, and it would, in every case, I'm like, I can't think of, even the best director in the world, it wouldn't work. Like it, he, has a, he has a style. I, I just couldn't, like, I, like imagine the, the final scene in the living room, what it would look like in the hands of another director. It would well, even, it even a genius director like Kubrick would have done it completely differently. It yeah. would have felt and, and landed yeah. totally differently. Just imagine what a slog natural born killers it would have been if Oliver Stone had directed it. <laughs> well, also that I did notice that the, they slipped the natural born killer reference. Into yeah, I know. <laughs> I Apparently that. though, the, uh, the guy, I think the the cinematographer in this, I think he worked with Oliver Stone a lot. Um, ironically, oh, okay. I could be wrong, but I think I heard that somewhere. Oliver Stone's got a really good visual style. There's no question uh, about that. Well, I will so say this: he's, he's I, probably got an excellent cinematographer. I I like certain Oliver Stone movies, especially his scripts, and I really like Platoon. Yeah, yeah, he's got good stuff. Yeah. yeah, Platoon, I still think is like the best Vietnam movie that was ever made. Um, but. Uh, but, you know, I just, by the time you get to Natural Born Killers, it's, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, well, understand. you know what? I couldn't, it's when the JFK movie and the um, the Nixon movie in particular really didn't land. I know we shouldn't be talking about, you know. No, I, topics, I know. I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have derailed the conversation. That's okay, though. That's okay. But but <laughs> but those those are the two big reasons why I just can't really follow Oliver Stone anymore. Um yeah. So yeah, so I guess what we want to probably get into then is um, uh, the detours, because before we did the podcast, we were looking at whether this was intended as one movie or in two, and I think we had kind of heard different things, and then when we looked it up on Wikipedia, we should point out, because, you know, maybe our information is wrong, there's a quote after it explains that it was, it was like, like Harvey Weinstein basically said, do it as two movies, and then Tarantino was kind of happy to do it because it gave him more space, and he said something about how it's the detours that make the movie the movie, that those are sort of the, the the thing that really make it work. And those were the things that would have been cut if it were one movie. And so I think that is perfect justification for why it needs to be too, because if those things were taken out, this wouldn't have worked for me. Um, yeah, actually, 
on a related note that raises an interesting I remember uh, reading an article because at one point Terry Gilliam was going to be making a Watchmen movie, like an adaptation of the comic book mm. Watchmen. Oof. And he was working on the screenplay and working on it. And he's like, you know, when, when you try and make this into a two hour movie, you have to take out all the detours and all the side stuff. And you've just got a dumb bog standard <laughs> superhero movie that like there's is like there's there's no point in making this a two hour movie because you can't keep any of the any of what makes it Watchmen if you. Yeah. If you do that. And I no, think and that, I think that was later proven. But uh, and, and that would be the case oh, here because it, it wouldn't have the character like the character depth and story just wouldn't be there like it yeah I, you know um i get for me the detour that really sells the film is the paime tutelage scene where she's yeah. buried alive and like you're you're it's it's so artfully done because you're fully invested in oh my god she's in a pine box how is she gonna get out <laughs> and then he then he's like no we're not gonna even deal with that right now now we're gonna do a flashback <laughs> sequence and yeah, it's like and, half and, the runtime of the movie almost. Well, well, and the thing is, normally when that happens, your brain is like, get back to the box. I want to know what happens. But the moment Bill starts talking in the desert, you're like, oh, Paime, what's going on here? And it, yeah. it, it, it holds your attention. But then it completely relates to the scene where she's buried in the box and explains how she escapes. So I just I've just always loved that scene. And I love the Paime character. I love how Gordon Liu plays him. Um, yeah. You know, it. Again, it's it's obviously there is an edge of humor to it. That is not like if you you know Paime is a very over the top character. You know he's he's usually Paime or Bakbe in the um in the old Shaw Brothers movies and stuff. But he's like a really for and stuff that they use in that like the whole thing where she kicks him in the groin and he captures her with her with yes. his crotch. That's one of Paime's techniques in the movies. That's not that's not something Tarantino threw in there to be silly. That's I mean he might have done it to be silly, but that's really from the movies. Um, you know, and, and it's even more ridiculous, I think, in execution. Was it Executioners from Shaolin where he's dragging yeah, the guy? Yeah, they were really over the top in ex. I, I watched those recently. So, uh, yeah, he, he toned, he didn't make it ridiculous. He toned it down yeah, in yeah. that case. <laughs> yeah, because actually the five, the five point exploding heart technique, I think in the original one, it's something like you walk 50 paces and then your heart explodes, right? I'm trying to remember but, what that's from. I know I've seen the movie. It was Executioners from Shaolin, I think. I think, executioners from I think Shaolin. so. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. one of the it's either that or maybe it's the um the white fist of the lotus or um the a abbot of shaolin um but i'm I pretty sure abbot of shaolin so i know it's not that one or oh, we're that's to talk so that one abbot abbot of shaolin is really good i might have the title a little wrong but it's a really good good movie on this subject but yeah. um but I mean, he's a, I mean, and also i like that kind of the same way he does with hitori hanzo he takes this existing character and he does it in his own way um, yeah. but it like both respects the lineage of the character, but it doesn't just completely repeat the character either. He kind of, he's, he, he turns Paime into more of a father figure for, for Uma Thurman. Do you know what I mean? Like, she's like, like, like the thing that I love about their relationship is that Paime actually respects her and, and, and he, and he, and he, like, he teaches her techniques. He didn't teach anybody else. And you also get a sense of Uma Thurman or the, the bride's, Beatrix Kiddo's character uh, in her interactions with Paime. She's able to go through all the tutelage and do everything that he wants, whereas, um, what's her name? Uh, Ellie Driver is not able to do so. Um, yeah. 
Well, it's, I mean, it, exactly. I mean, and I think he kind of sets it up by, you know, having David Carradine deliver the line. Oh, when, you know, he get, when, a, when a master gets old, he gets lonely. Yeah. And it's like it, and it, it kind of creates this bridge between the character you see in the classic movies and this version of the character by it's like, yeah, he, you know, he's changed a little bit, but he's still, he's still the same ruthless bastard. But, but one thing I like they set up in that too is, uh, well, I like they set up during the Ellie Driver sequence with the eye pluck. It's yep. like the fact that she does the eye pluck on Ellie, which is one of Pai Mei's techniques. Yep. And it's that's putting in your head the fact, oh, he's taught her his really good yep. stuff, which it delivers at the very end of the movie. So mm. it doesn't completely come out of nowhere that he's taught her the... Uh, yeah. The, I think that was in the first movie, too. And the battle with the crazy 88, she uses the exact same thing to pluck one of their eyes out. She does. We don't know it's a Pai Mei technique yep. at that point. That's the... But that's, I, what a great feeling of continuity when it does come together in the second movie, though. It's really but nice. there's, a, there's another thing in that scene, too, that really helps hammer home their relationship. Because when she's slaughtered them all and dismembered their limbs, she's, she announces to them, like, you know, you're, you know, you can leave, but your arms and legs, they all belong to me now. <laughs> yes. And you don't really understand. You just think, oh, she's just saying something you hear in, like, martial arts movies. But then when he says that her arm belongs to him in part two, you realize, like, Oh, she like really respects Pai Mei. Like they have like a real relationship that's like a true student teacher relationship. Um, and so yeah. I think that, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and too with Pai, I mean, the thing is, too, another thing that, that really sunk in with the movie this time is that, you know, the bride is not a good character. She's just the character out for vengeance and <laughs> we we have sympathy with her, but she is not, it's like her, her, being Pai Mei at times, it's like, yeah, that's she. She she is a ruthless murdering killer. Yeah, that's that's who she is to an extent. You well, know? that's why that Superman not, speech not resonates even. so strongly. We've just seen her cut her way through a small nation's worth of people, <laughs> like yeah, in the movies, and finally, like Bill lays it out, he's just like, you're not. You thought you're just gonna work at a record store? That was gonna be. That was gonna work. And she's like, no. No, it wouldn't have. But, you know, I would have had my daughter. And like, I think that kind of summarizes our feelings about The Bride for me. Because, like, I was watching her kill, um, who was it? The, the first lady we see her kill, I can't remember her name now. It was Copperhead. Copperhead. Copperhead, that's right. And, In front of her daughter. <laughs> yeah, and it's like she has this speech to her daughter where she's like, hey, look. If you're still raw about this when you're an adult, yeah. I'll be waiting. And that is like the most wusha thing to say. And like, yeah, it's weird, but I'm still sympathizing with this character. You know, like yeah. he's clearly a bad person. Yeah, it's yet, also yeah. extremely callous to say to a child when you've just, uh, you know, yeah, murdered their parent. Yeah, um, I mean, it's great because it's like I, I feel like a lot of a lot of directors or screenwriters would have put a scene where you you know it's like oh you make the person like the character then in the middle of the movie you throw in a scene where you're like oh maybe this person's more ambiguous than i thought but it's like yeah. no nah, he puts that right at the front of the first movie it's like there's no doubt you're dealing with a really questionably ethical person here so yeah, it's I, uh seeing her as pi may's successor that's one of the things that makes the second movie so necessary I think a lot of yeah. it, it's just the pace slows down so much in the second, people get a little more bored with it. But it really explains a lot about the first movie to watch that Pai Mei sequence. Yeah, mm -hmm. it does. It does. It, and, and also, I, I do like that, like you were saying, the Superman speech. And also when he asks her, did you enjoy killing all those people? You said, yes. <laughs> yes. So you know she's, I mean, obviously she wants revenge because she's, 
you know, she, she has a, th there is like a sense of justice that she needs to achieve. But true. she's also killing a lot of people that had nothing to do with anything that Bill did. And so, yeah, you lots know, and lots. Yeah. Uh, were there really 88 of them? Oh, no, they were just saying that. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Too. <laughs> I thought that was a really. They thought nice it sounded thing. cool. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I but yeah, she's not a good person. In fact, I don't think that there isn't a whole lot of evidence that she is, except that she loves her daughter. Like what other other than that, like like I'm trying and maybe there is a moment. Like I think she lets one of the crazy eighty eights go, right? The the the, the yeah, so spanks him and lets him go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the uh, that's and, I think that's, I that's like, a scene from uh from a Yojimbo too. That's uh, that's that's a straight lift from Yojimbo. But, but uh, oh God, was that in Yojimbo? Yeah, oh, you know, when, he, when, he, when he goes into one of the gambling houses, there's the one guy left, and he's like, you know, go home to your mother. <laughs> that's right. Oh my God, I forgot about that scene. What a great callback. Yeah, and I. I think um, that uh, oh, I forgot what I was going to say, but but anyways, I well, oh, we'll just. I'm just so happy I got a chance to contribute to the conversation. I was just sitting here watching you guys geek out about this well, movie. And well, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, we, we, man, do you want to add anything, Joel? I don't want to. No, I don't want to add. Over you. Those are exactly my feelings. <laughs> I just felt kind of redundant for a little bit. Now I get to I get to wedge in my little observation about the Superman speech. I'm cool. <laughs> But yeah, but yeah. anyway, she she's I, oh, what I was gonna say is she's she has a code, and I think that's what Pai Mei likes about her. Like she has a code, yeah. and she's yeah, she's like got a sincerity to her or whatever. But she's not somebody that like she's a she's a killing person. She's you know? not so, a hero. She's yeah. she, she is <laughs> she's what she is. But um, yeah, it's, that, which uh, which gets me to my other point in 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 Kill Bill Two when they go back to the wedding rehearsal and they're all like, "We're the only family this woman needs." And you can just tell that's so not the case. And I kind of like how that caught, like we've often talked about like the found family thing that's in a lot of newer movies. And so I thought that was like an interesting, you know, play on that where obviously that it wasn't a thing when Kill Bill was made. It wasn't, it wasn't like a, such a trope like it is now, but I, I like that, um, that, that the, it's almost like the butt of the joke of that scene. Like there's, there's no way well, that. See, I'm sorry. I, my, oh, I still, oh, she's think, got I still this think about your last comment, and I, I and I. I got oh, I'm sorry. Crazy. She's got this that 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 the people at the wedding rehearsal are her found family, and that that's become now that's become such a trope. But oh, the way yeah, that it's handled yeah. here is, you know, they're obviously not, they're not even worthy to be in her presence. Do you know what I mean? Like she doesn't like. The guy yeah. is, is there's no way that that marriage is going to work. There's no way that any of those friends that she has can understand any of the stuff that she's been through. Um, and so no, it's just well, not, going, underlining go that point too. going back to the guy she lets go with the crazy 88s. It's not like it's out of compassion. It's like you she just spanks him, humiliates him. You are you are worth killing. Get yeah. out of here. I'm not going to fight you. It's, it's it's that it is that kind of wuxia master thing. It's like, yeah. no, I, I you're you're not you're not worth worth fighting, you know. It's uh it's kind of a uh, yeah, I don't know. Go ahead. Oh, that, I mean, that was pretty much it. I just I just noticed the sort of found family concept in there and thought it was kind of funny the way that it was handled because it's so different from how it's often handled these days where found family yeah. is like everything and it's the it's the you know and and here it's just like such a rejection of that of that so it I mean, is i i like that they don't really oh, go into much depth with the husband character at all the, the potential husband character at all it's like he's just so 
like he's just paper thin to an extent because they they are just people on this lower level compared to the the whole you know Jiangu people that you have as the main characters. <laughs> what, what were you gonna say, Joel? I don't remember. <laughs> sorry, that's all right. Sorry. But no, but speaking of Jiangu, that's the other thing this movie does really well is it builds like a martial world, like a a, a, yes. a, a criminal underworld, a martial underworld, like a a, a setting where that all of these characters inhabit. And yes. and I think that really is the thing that makes it work is it has a it has a consistent sense of a martial world underpinning everything, um, yep. but uh, but yeah. So uh, the other question I wanted to ask because I don't think I have a good answer for this, but I've always been sort of curious. Why do you guys think they she was called Black Mamba? Because the other names all kind of make sense. Do you know what I mean? Like Copperhead, she has like hair that looks kind of coppery, right? And um, I'm trying to, and, and I think uh, Cottonmouth, I guess I didn't quite understand either, but uh, California Mountain Sake made some sense. Um, maybe it's because she's the deadliest. I don't know. I mean, it's just they, they kind of have that whole speech about how poisonous, the, they give Ellie that speech about yeah. the Black Mamba and how horrifically yeah, deadly that's, that's it is. That's exactly the reason, because at the end of that speech, it's like only one thing is guaranteed to kill you. Yep. Okay. That's her. Like, She's guaranteed to kill you. She's the best. That's that's the whole. That's why she's called Black Mamba. Like and, and like the movie is really like. I love that Quentin Tarantino can literally have his character sit you down, look you in the eye, and lecture you about the thing he's like. This is what the movie's about. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's it's true. That's true. Yeah, oh, it's brilliant. I love that whole. So that whole fight scene was in the trailer. Is maybe again up there with the the. It, it's so different in scale from the the crazy eighty eight fight sequence, but it's. It's so good. It's so intense. It's a real like samurai showdown energy. Uh, I also love the way it ends with the eye getting plucked out. Um, and yeah. and uh, yeah, <laughs> just rolling around and screaming impotently as as Kiddo just leaves. I, I sort of learned to really enjoy Daryl Hannah's soap opera performance in in those uh, scenes too. Because at first, I, I yeah. Yeah, when I first saw it, I didn't quite understand what she was doing, I think. Um, but over time, it's like it's really where I, I kind of get it more. And I I also love, again, to go back to Pai Mei, how they're able to tie back. Like they get the whole I killed your master thing in there so effortlessly. Uh, yeah. You know, you know, just to, it, it, but it's all built on all the stuff that came before. You know, it wouldn't she, have worked if she oh, even uses poison, which is like the most taboo thing. Yeah. To do. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's a very yeah. Well, and that's we and 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 we when we first see her, she's trying to poison. She's trying to poison Beatrix, right? When she's yep. in a coma. So and she poisons uh, what's his name, Cowboy Hat. Always uh, uses poison. And Cowboy also, hat. now that I'm thinking about it, a California Mountain Snake or King Snake is like the only non-venomous snake in the group too, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is a cool, uh, cool thing. Wait, is the, 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 the California Mountain Snake eat other snakes though? I think that's what they do, yeah. Ah, <laughs> good catch. Look at, look at but, me things about snakes. What about okay? So what about like what do you guys think of Bud? What what is what is your take Bud. on the Bud Bud character? I, I, he, uh, no. Go ahead, go ahead, Joe. We've been talking really... too much. <laughs> I just shaming you for having an opinion. No, I just I just want to say I love the guy. I I love his little rockabilly energy. Um, I love that he's kind of a loser, and it's clear that, like, maybe he doesn't have to be, but he's kind of choosing it, you know? 
much like yeah. everyone else, he's sort of de- like everyone who's living another life after their their time uh, being like a ruthless, like, you know, killer for hire. He's also kind of like dealing with the fact that he can't have any other life, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I think is is his because they never say what they fought over. I assume that it was a disagreement over either what happened. Yeah, the, that's really what's were. implied there. Because even when you, you see the shots of him walking up to it right before the massacre, there's this, like, doubt in his body language. You know, every time you okay. see a shot of his face, he's, like, he's like shaking his head, like, we shouldn't be doing this. This isn't mm-hmm. right. And I think that's kind of what divorced him from the life, you know? Okay. Um, well, I think, I yeah, well, I think I never picked up on, actually. I, I don't I don't think on previous watches I picked up on the fact he was Bill's brother. I think they only mentioned it the one time on the phone call where he says, wrong brother. And I think I missed that line last time. Mm-hmm. And that that changed so much about this character. I'm like, oh, he's Bill's brother. Okay. At that, it's it, it was always sword. weird. It's like, what? It's engraved on the sword. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I uh, I, I I didn't it's read. Funny word for the world's most oblivious man. <laughs> I, I maybe maybe I did pick up on it last time and forgot, but it's like it wasn't until they got to that point. I'm like, oh, okay. And the character just really clicked for me when it's like, okay, that's why he's right. in because it's it, for one thing. It's weird. It's like okay, Bill's got this you know this harem of beautiful women that work for him and bud you know and it was yeah, like what, how does he fit into this it's like <laughs> oh okay. he's he's his little brother that he's dragged well, also into this doesn't even really want to be there in the first place that yeah. into the life that he's carved out for himself he's still kind of around that world because he's a bouncer at a strip club so he's still kind of do you know what i mean yeah. he's like he's still yeah you know connecting with that same kind of world i i really like how uh what what's the word under he, he he's easy to underestimate as a character and everybody seems to underestimate him and so like yeah. I, I think that's like 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 you know like she just walks like it's obvious when she sees him his feet are pa- pa- pointed towards the door and i think the reason she goes in charging is she doesn't think much of but um yeah and you know he's obviously more planned than he lets on uh, but my favorite scene is the scene in the uh, strip club with the uh, the owner. I love uh, what, what's what's the name of the um, the actor who plays that oh, guy? Yeah. Uh, uh, something that... Bishop. Uh, uh... Oh, then I'll find it. Um, what's that guy's name? Larry Bishop. That's it. Larry Bishop. That's him. Okay. He he's got to be my favorite character in the movie if we're not going with like Bill or Beatrix or something. Um, that is just a beautiful little part there. Yeah. yeah. Apparently, yeah. so so I guess there's a couple of interesting things. These were from the Amazon viewing. I, I guess I own this movie on Amazon, which I didn't know. Um, but I don't remember these trivia things coming up the last time I saw it. Uh, the hat was actually something that uh, that Madsen insisted on wearing that Tarantino <laughs> didn't want him to wear. So the whole speech about that shit kicker hat was Tarantino <laughs> changing the dialogue because he was so irritated with the hat. And the, uh, the so but the other thing was, I guess Daryl Hannah did a documentary on a strip club, and the scene where he's taking off Bud's days from the calendar, those are almost verbatim taken from that documentary of a of an of a strip club owner berating one of the employees or something. So I thought that yeah, 
going back to Ellie too, I've got, I'm just got to say on the Bud Ellie thing, it's funny that Ellie has that. She's like mumbling to herself. It's like, ah, oh, it's like, you, it's not fair. She got killed by this bushwhacker. And it's like, you're a poisoner. It's like, you're, <laughs> you're upset because she just, instead of a fair fight, you know, took her out with it, hiding with a shotgun. And it's like, and you're, what, what do you do? <laughs> well, she's a hypocrite. I think her character yeah. is, a, is, is a really big hypocrite. Um, yeah. You know, like, and I also, I think she doesn't, she lives by the code, but obviously she's veering from it. Like we see her at the beginning, like really getting mad when Bill decides, oh no, we're not going to kill her in her sleep. And, yeah. you know, and, and again, you know, and then she ends, and, and also she poisons Bud with snakes. You know, she, she's not like she confronts him honorably in a, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. She, she, she puts a black mamba in his, in his money pile. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then she doesn't even, she's not even going to own it. She then lies to Bill and it's like, oh, yeah. you know, she killed him by putting a snake in his caravan. And it's yeah, exactly. It's like it's it's like you're not even going to own your kill. That's uh, just uh, I think the best thing you could, the, the best the best like way I can sort of frame her character in the most generous way is maybe she's so in love with Bill. She that's why she's doing all these things. She's just trying to get rid of all the things that you know, her psycho mind thinks are going to interfere with, or maybe not. Bill's a pretty, if that's a you know, charitable yeah, yeah. thing. It's like, yeah. I love this person. I must destroy no, everyone what, what, else that's of importance to them. Well, <laughs> the, the alternative is she's not even, the, the alternative is she doesn't even have that kind of affection for Bill. Do you know what I mean? At least in that scenario. Oh yeah, I, I get it. Uh, well, it's, I mean, that goes back to Bill. It's like Bill, if you want to find a good quality in Bill, it's that well he's obsessed enough with with uh with with, with a matrix that he uh that, that he he, he go, does all this stuff it's like yeah it's his obsession with that so it's they're very similar in that one respect well and so are um so are beatrix and and her i think that the fight scene with them there's a real evil doppelganger energy to that one yeah you know they have the same master they're using the same kind of sword like they're both blondes. They're both like you know in love with Bill ostensibly. So like, yeah, there, there's a real like light versus dark kind of thing happening in that trailer. I really liked that. Uh, that well, character. she's obviously her replacement, right? Like he obviously was you intended her to replace Beatrix when she left. Um, maybe even before she left. Who knows? But uh, well, it's almost yeah. certainly after. There's no way it was before. But uh, but but she was there at the dress rehearsal scene, right? So we know she yeah. was present then. But well, they, they had the her, they, they knew each other. So I mean, clearly she was part of the group when Beatrix was part of the group. But like you say, she was brought in. I, I it does I, seem like she was brought in later. Yeah. I guess the question is, when do you think she trained with Paime? Was it after the the wedding or was it before the wedding? Huh. Yeah. What's the timeline on that? Because it seems like. The most likely scenario in my mind is that after she left, there was a nine-month or so period, right? I don't know that's enough time to get training with Pyme. I don't feel like that's well, enough. She didn't, though. She just poisoned him. <laughs> right. Well, it could have so. been. It could have been. But she was in a coma for, what, four years, right? Four years. Yeah, four so, years is coma. So, so she could have gone after she tried to poison her. In the hospital, I, you know what I mean? don't think that Bill would have sicked anyone on Beatrix unless they'd had training from Pymate before. I think that was part of what you had to do to get in the squad. Well, also, we do know her training was incomplete because mm. she killed him. True. So, yeah. <laughs> and it's being a filthy poisoner. Disgusting. Dishonorable. I, I, 
I think I think going back to Wuxia here, the, this this movie is an example of why there's a taboo against against uh, Shifu student relationships. It's uh, <laughs> it's like it just it's just a bad situation. It's a bad situation. So, yeah, I guess that is what they're. Yeah, that is that sort of scenario because he, I guess he is their teacher in a way. So oh, he is. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's totally a teacher to them. So it's yeah, and he he's, he's sleeping with all his students and this. Well, we don't know that he's sleeping with all of them, do we? Like we don't. Well, we know all, for sure he's stuck with. No, no, he's, he's, he's sleeping, sleeping with, with the blondes. Yeah, 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 yeah. The blondes, at least. We, uh, but uh. yeah, I, I, I feel like 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 I don't know, may, maybe it's that part is unclear. I, I just, I just always assume that like the, um, the, the Oren character and Copperhead were, were not sleeping with him, but yeah, my point, my point stands either way though. It's, uh, it's it definitely, um, entanglements. So I guess, what was that? He's corrupting his karma. Yeah. <laughs> so what what did you guys think of the action choreography? Because I know Adam, you had said you had some note about that. Um, I think about what people, the the action choreography? What was your thought? Oh on the yeah, action? yeah. Actually, it's during the during when she fights fights Gogo, the uh, the mm -hmm. schoolgirl with the meteor hammer. You know, it's 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 uh, the beginning of that fight. Most of that fight's good. It's mm -hmm. just the very beginning of the fight. She just goes in there with her sword, clearly outclassed with range. It's a weapon mm -hmm. she's not prepared. And I'm like, okay, you know, it's like Gogo is supposed to be the impulsive, young, hotshot mm. teenage fighter. And you are the absolute killer expert trained by yeah. Jaime and all these people. And you had no plan and just charged. And there she get, gets kind of beaten up at the beginning. It's like, yeah, I, feel, I just yeah. felt like that just felt so wrong to me and this once again this is something the first time i watched this movie wouldn't have entered my head but yeah reviewing dozens of wuxia movies with you i'm now i'm now like does this action scene make character sense and i'm like no but once it gets past that initial yeah. little exchange the rest of the fight's fantastic but i'm just like i don't feel she would have been that stupid as to have just i gone agree there. yeah i i agree with that i mean i was kind of thinking like that too i was also i mean i did notice to to her credit as a character, she obviously learns within a few blows yeah. and she starts doing the thing on the tables and that's clearly yes. more tactical, but it is yeah. odd that like she, at the it's beginning of the fight, fight yeah. she, she has no real game plan for dealing with this psycho with a, a, I think a, a, a meteor hammer. I think it's a character. I'm going to justify it because the same shit happens with Bud. She goes in unprepared and gets walloped in the chest. And That's true. That was Bud, as it, we but said. Maybe, maybe we, we think she underestimated Bud because he's Bud. It's like, oh, that's just Bill's little brother. Yeah, I, I think you Bill's could, little brother. It's possible she underestimated her too. Um, uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, you got uh, a point. Yeah, she's like a oh, teenage girl, whatever. Yeah, because I think because right. didn't she at the start of the arrogance, fight? Didn't she? Didn't, yeah, because yes. she tries to say, "Hey, look, you know, I know you think you have to defend your master and all, but." You know, you basically tell her to pack up and go home. So she you're right. Fight. You're right. She does. She does the thing she tries to do with the with the with the guy at the end of the fight when she yeah. lets him go. But it's like this is not that not that character. Yeah. <laughs> you're, no. You okay? You've, you've you guys just, quelled quelled my 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 quibble. Quelled my quibble. Like your quibble uh, has been quelled. Yes. Now it is a quiet quibble. Quiet a quelled, quibble. quiet quibble. <laughs> yeah. Any I, other I, qualms or quibbles? 
<laughs> well, or just any thoughts on the action in general, I guess, because we haven't really co commented on the action itself. Oh, that phenomenal. That's, that's, that's my one word review of the rest of the action. Yeah, honestly, it, it almost feels like you can't put words to this action. It's so good. It's yeah, just and, so and, and Yuan Yu Ping, uh, sorry, Yuan Wu Ping is the um, action choreographer. So, I mean, he's well, got yeah. a... Uh, the man deserves to have his name chiseled in it. Well, he's done a lot oh, of really good movies. Stone. Um, because... So, we'll see you. Uh, uh, so, I mean, off the top of my head, I, I think he did, um, uh, oh, God, why is it the, the, the Michelle Yeoh movie, um, Wing Chun. Um, I think he did Snake in the Eagle's Shadow and uh, and Drunken Master. I'd have to double Holy check shit. just to make sure. I'm, calling uh, up I'm pretty sure he did the, did the right Matrix, now. I think. Um, I'm pretty sure he did the Matrix. He might have done, I can't remember if he did Crouching Tiger. Oh, my Dragon God. First or the second Good. one. A couple uh, of the Ip Man movies, Once Upon a Time in Shanghai. He's done a lot Kung of Fu, stuff. Kung Fu Hustle, he did that. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, Matrix. There was a really good action on that one. Uh, they got the Once Matrix Upon there. a Time in China 2. Uh, those are still are like his choreographer. That, that's not even getting into his things he actually directed. Wow. Tai Chi Master, Wing Chun. Tai Chi Master is an awesome movie. Yeah. That is yeah, awesome. the choreography in that I remember. I remember that just opens with that kind of scene of that that kind of training scene, and it, it's just a joy just to watch them going through their moves. Uh, yeah, drunken master cool, he did. Yeah, he, he did a lot of movies. I mean, he he's like he's like the guy. I mean, there's a lot of good yeah. fight choreographers, but he's like the one that I think you know most people know. Um, his movies are always kind of odd because they're so fight choreography centric and so they well, have that, a certain they have a certain feel to them um, a huge amount of the runtime of the first part of this two-part grindhouse movie is the the crazy 88 fight scene it's tremendous like screen time and what's really impressive about it beyond just like every single shot and frame being a work of art which is i mean but beyond that what's really impressive about it is that it keeps changing character it's not just whenever it switches to black and white, which is really impressive and cool, by the way. But it's also like when it switches into the dark, or every time there's a new squad of goons that comes forward to replace the the recently massacred squad, it feels like you're almost getting a completely new fight scene with new moves, new strategies, yeah. a completely yeah. different take on it. Um, and it really, like, it starts with that fight with Gogo, right? Like, that's like the real, like, when you're starting to get into it. And then it goes through the whole crazy 88, because it's just that thing where it's like, did you really think it was going to be that easy? Nope. Uh, and then it doesn't really conclude until the movie's over. Like, in the very, yeah. very, very last fight scene with Cottonmouth, um, she chops the top of her head off, among other things. That was a great, uh, great sequence, by the way. So, like... Yeah, the, the pacing is really good in the fight. Like, I really like the... It's one of the, the, the I, th I think that it was done very wisely because it was done at a time too. And I, I mean, I feel like a lot of American movies didn't always get the whole action choreography thing until around the time of the Matrix. I could be wrong, but that just sort of, I like if when you go back and watch older American action movies, you just kind of get this sense that there is kind of a feel it as we go kind of a thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, the Matrix and, was like that watershed moment for adding real art to the action. I don't think yeah. that I can't think of another movie that really did that prior. Um, and then Kill Bill did a really good job with it too. Yeah, and like those are the ones that stand out in my mind really sharply. 
Yeah, so I think it really does bring that to an American audience, and it does it on a budget that's staggering too. So like it's, um, you know, it is a really great display of it. But um, but I mean, even like the opening scene with uh, with Copperhead, where it's just like a knife fight in the living room. Just there's just so many little moments that they they stand out. They make you they make you feel things. I I don't know. It's it's very easy for action to get boring, and if, if especially yeah. if you've seen a movie eight, ten, twenty times, right? But with this, I feel like I can always keep watching it. The action doesn't get boring. Um, I and think. It, and, I, what, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say one, one interesting thing Tarantino brought to movies was having the getting rid of a big action scene and having explosive short bursts of violence. You know, like, you know, you get that in like Pulp Fiction, of course. It's just yeah. like, boom, a character's suddenly dead. And that yeah. was the that was the action scene. And it's shocking. And he keeps that while adding that. You know, you have scenes like yeah. when uh, when Copperhead, you know, shoots her through the cereal box with the gun she has hidden there. And you, you have all these the, the 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 shotgun blast from the caravan and that kind of scene. Yeah. It's, it's, he, he keeps all those. He doesn't entirely go to big action set pieces. He has both of those. And I feel yeah. that really adds to the impact of this movie. Yeah, it, it works. It works really well. It's like there, there's like a punctuation to it. I, I agree. The cereal box scene is really good because it's just basically two beats. It's like she fires the gun and she throws the knife and then she's dead. And, yeah. you know, after they had this whole back and forth that destroyed the living room. So I really. Yeah, I, I, exactly. Yeah. Breaking that up is a great move because then you get this wonderful end of the movie where it's this beautiful, gory, crunchy fight, and then you slow it down to the dialogue and the character building, and then bam, it's over with a yeah. sudden burst of intense violence. Ah, so good. Yeah, the pacing overall in the films is really good. Like the whole way that you have, like you have, I mean, Bill, Kill Bill One is like this almost exhausting, you know, roller coaster <laughs> of a movie, right? And then you get to the end and Oren is dead and then you're getting to like the credits and you've almost forgotten about everything. And then Bill drops that bomb of like, does she know that her daughter is still alive? And uh -huh. like this, it just, just where they place that is just a hundred percent perfect. Cause you yeah. feel like the movie's already over at that point. You're you know satisfied. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. boom, here's the reason you want to come back. <laughs> it's it, it really worked i was uh even when i like when i watch it now i still get like oh like that's like a like you know i remember how i felt hearing those words do you know what i mean so yeah um yeah yeah i forgot about that like when i was watching it this like this last time but yeah as soon as it got to that line of dialogue i'm like oh yeah i remember how fantastic this ending is yeah yeah it's a it's a and also just how like Thoroughly brutal. I mean, it, it, again, the tone helps, but how thoroughly brutal the movie is with its violence. It doesn't yeah. like like like. And again, I know that we don't we don't want to get into this because we don't remember if this is like accurate or not. But there was some talk of whether it would have been made NC-17 or something because of the violence. And you can you can sort of see how how that might have been the case um, mm -hmm. simply because, you know, like like what happens with with uh, with with uh, was it Sophie or Sophia? What's her name? The um, number, uh, Oren's number uh, two. Sophie, I think. I will okay. go with Sophie. But, so, uh, but what happens yeah, with sir. her? Yeah, she she gets mutilated, then rolled down the, to the emergency room entrance of a of a hospital, and 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 amid after being like amid a sea of maimed bodies that are you know, <laughs> so it, it's it, it it's it's pornographically violent, right? Um, yeah. 
but uh but it's done in an entertaining way and it's not done in a way that makes me feel like um it doesn't feel sadistic if that makes sense do you know what i mean it feels well, it feels like playful. well what i like I, about I know it, it sounds horrible to say about all this hideous grotesque mutilation but it's it's poppy and fun and presented in this in this really playful video gaming way um <laughs> I know. Even the most gruesome violence in this movie is is done for the the raw joy of the spectacle. But what's yeah, also but good it's... about that is when he asks her, "Did you enjoy killing those people?" You know how much fun she had because you were enjoying it too. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. it's it's yeah. like wow. you're just as yeah you're just as like guilty in a way as she is. Like when you get to that point, it's like, well, yeah, I did have a good time. You know, I, so yeah, Max, um, you already said it best. Violence is rad. <laughs> the thing with the Sophie thing too is that you don't actually know entirely what happened to her. It's like you have that final scene mm. with Kill, where, sorry, where Bill is talking <laughs> to her, and and you know, and it's like it's it's implied that maybe during the interrogation more stuff happened. You yeah, know? it's like I'm going to cut off body parts that there'll be things you miss. That you they never the camera never goes below her neck. You're yeah. like, what what else happened there? What happened? Yeah, you it's, don't know. Uh, it's a real you, you do notice that she because uh, both of the shots that I think we lost Joel here. Yeah, you've uh, frozen. Frame. You you oh wait he's not back. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah we can hear yeah. you. You yeah, froze for a back. moment. Yeah. I want to start over there. Yeah. Okay. Oh sorry. Uh oh. Um, oh, am I doing it again? Well, keep talking. Let's see if this keep if talking. This keep talking. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. So is it is it just like the? Am I doing that thing where I'm like trailing off afterwards? No, now you're clear now. So I would try to get it in before. Okay. Okay. That was. Ah, oh, you missed. Oh. You blew the window. <laughs> that was weird. Well, anyways. Damn it. All right. Well, okay. I'm gonna sit this one out then, guys. Sorry. All right, that's that's all right. Well, we're at fifty-two minutes anyway, so we pretty much. If we is yeah, there anything I, that we we haven't covered that we want to talk about? Here. I guess I guess um we're gonna come oh. back. Uh, well, actually, with, I I do have my second quibble. I only made one. Oh, of my okay. Quibbles. Get to yeah. do your second quibble. Do your second. The quibble. other one is the the movie opens with the Shaw Brothers logo, and then it goes to the our feature presentation little thing, but. You wouldn't have that after a movie's opening logo. That would be before the Shaw Brothers logo. The Shaw Brothers logo should be part of the movie, oh, and the, now see. our feature presentation should be before it. So that 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 kind of ruins the movie in a lot of ways. But uh, okay. that's my I didn't zero out of ten fail. F my. <laughs> so that as you say, th these are the, these are the biggest flaws I could find with this movie. I, I try. Well, I have noticed that is how they determine if a movie is really bad on YouTube lately. When I'm when I'm watching people talk about a film, it's often it's often boils down to those kind of quibbles. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, uh, Joel, maybe you can get your word in now because you seem to be clear. We'll maybe give it one last shot. Okay, yeah, try we'll it. One last go for it. So. So in that torment scene, the, the interrogation scene, there's two framing shots of Beatrix. Same shot, right? She's facing the camera. She's got the helmet on like Daft Punk in the yellow suit. And the first one, she's got the gore spattered on her. Oh. her, from her. There's more gore in the second one. Okay. All right. I got it. I think you're right, Joel. I think you're right. I think what he's saying is in the second shot of her, there's more blood spatter on, on Beatrix, Dude. which implies there was more bloodshed. 
So that's, I, I think that's that, and also that outfit that was a callback to Game of Death, which we saw. Yeah. Yes. Um, what is it? Two weeks ago or something? I forget when we saw it. Well, it is, but this feels like such a good tribute to that because she's it, she's going through the different layers and fighting ever stronger bad guys through it. It's like that's yeah, yeah it's a really good little trip. So, um, but yeah, so I guess uh, I don't know what movie we're doing next. Um, I can't recall what our next film was. I know we have one or two more a- action movies. I think for the Twelve well, yeah. Days of Fistmas. Yeah, we're pretty far into it. Yeah, on the on the Game of Death reference too. As Game of Death was a flawed movie that didn't get to be what Bruce Lee wanted because he died. But his original concept was going through those layers of fighters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like it's almost like Tarantino brought that in. It's like okay, this this is closer to Mm -hmm. what Game of Death should have been as opposed to what it is. But. Speaking of that, I think we're going to do another Bruce Lee movie, right? It was either going to yeah. be, um, I think it was going to be Fist of Fury was the movie, or or Enter the Dragon. I can't remember which one, um, but we'll we'll tend to that after. Yeah, we well, um, can work that out. And so, yeah, so that's Kill Bill Volumes One and Two. I think they're on Amazon if you can rent them or buy them or whatever. I'm sure they're available all over the place. It's not like a it's not like a hard movie to find. Um, and yeah, and until next time. We will talk to you later.